Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's opening night for your Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Live from Staten Island University Hospital Community Park in Staten Island, home of the Ferry Hawks. Now, here's Katz and Cosby, John Katzimatidis, and Rita Cosby. Play ball. This is John Katzimatidis. I am in the studio in Staten Island at the uh, stadium. And we're waiting for the opening night, and we got an exciting game to hear. And uh, sitting next to me, we got Homer Bush, the manager that's going to take us to the World Series of the Atlantic League. Homer, welcome. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Welcome back to New York. I mean, you won the World Series for the Yankees in 1998, was it? Yes, sir, 1998. Well, you're going to win the World Series for Staten Island now. Absolutely. That's definitely the goal. And we got Mike Cusick here. Mike is the was in assembly for 20 years, but now he is uh, president of the Economic Development for Staten Island. Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're helping Staten Island. Hey, the only borough I won for when I was running for mayor. <laughs> and Eric, Eric Schuffler, the uh, operating uh, manager of... Uh, uh, of the partnership that uh, between the Yankees, myself, and himself, and uh, that our own Neil Ferry Hawks. Uh, yep, excited to be here, excited to start the season, and we love Staten Island, we love our Ferry Hawks, a great combination. So who who are we playing tonight? The uh, Charleston Dirty Birds. Are they dirty? <laughs> You're going to make them dirtier? That, that's the goal, yes, sir. All right, okay. Uh, Rita, back to you in the New York studio, and I understand uh, you have John Solomon going to be uh, going on. Yeah, we do, and boy, you are with like an all-star lineup there. Lucky you, John Katz and Matidis, there to be there at the stadium again. Opening night, this is the home opener and it is going to be an action-packed show. We're going to be back and forth with John there at the stadium, me here in the studio. And now, John, let's bring in. We have some big breaking news. Breaking news, WABC. And joining us now with some big breaking news is John Solomon, the founder of Just the News. John, you've got some big stuff, especially about Hunter Biden. That's right. Hunter Biden is just about everywhere. In Monday, he'll be in Arkansas in a court. There he's been ordered to appear for a paternity-related case involving one of his children. That is uh, going to da- uh, delve into some of his finances. We may learn some more things about where he's been getting his money since his dad returned to the White House as president. Meanwhile, in Congress, two very big developments this week. First up, late yesterday, the House Ways and Means Committee accepted uh, a whistleblower from the IRS who says that Uh, The Biden political appointees at the Justice Department have been interfering and blocking their ability to uh, bring criminal charges against Hunter Biden. This acceptance is a very important thing. There are tax privacy laws. Now that the House Ways and Means Committee has accepted, the whistleblower can literally come talk about Hunter Biden's taxes, what he should be charged with, what he's not being charged with, who were the culprits trying to block it. A very big moment. And as that was going on, the chairman of that committee, 
uh, had just happened to have the IRS director in front of him for an oversight hearing. And he started the whole hearing by saying, listen, fella, no retaliating against this IRS whistleblower. I don't want to see retaliation, reprisal, anything. We're going to de- we're going to treat this guy with respect because he's come forward under the right circumstances. That was a very big moment. And then just a few doors down from the House Ways and Means Committee, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer says, hey, I'm seeing witness intimidation. I'm seeing lawmakers being intimidated. I'm seeing banks that cooperated with us um, uh, being intimidated. I'm putting the Biden entire operation on notice. No more witness intimidation or this is going to get a little bit tougher on you. So uh, it's heating up. All things Hunter Biden are heating up. Uh, There's discussions of a criminal indictment with the Justice Department, a big meeting with Hunter Biden's lawyers and the DOJ prosecutors. So there's an expectation he could be charged soon. He's going to be in court on paternity and two major developments in Congress all coming together in the last few hours. John Solomon, uh, you know, he may be charged, but in your opinion, is he just going to get a slap on the uh, on the hand and say, OK, uh, you did wrong, you're you're guilty, uh, you get uh, 90 days probation? I think that is a very big concern. I interviewed James Comer last night and he said, listen, the Justice Department and criminal investigation of Hunter Biden is way too narrow. And I'm going to take you to one place because this is a document I broke a couple years ago. I think I actually came on your show and talked about it. There is a famous email that we authenticated on the laptop where Hunter Biden is told in 2017, you still haven't paid your taxes on $400,000 of money you got from Burisma. Yep, that Ukraine company, the one that never seems to go away. That was a Ukrainian energy company. Imagine three years later still not having, having paid your taxes. And so people will say, well, that must be part of the DOJ investigation right now. And the answer is it does not appear to be. All the reports indicate that they're looking at much smaller charges uh, about a much later uh, tra- tax transaction in 2018 involving a lot less money. So members of Congress like James Comer, Jim Jordan, Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley have a very important question. Is it possible that the Biden Justice Department let the statute of limitations or a tolling agreement, which keeps the statute of limitations going, uh, expire so that the Biden family would be saved the embarrassment of having to admit Hunter Biden didn't pay taxes on Ukraine money that became a a big focus of the Trump impeachment? That is a question circulating all over Washington. But just remember, we've got that email. It's a signed admission that they hadn't paid taxes. Why isn't that on the table? A lot of lawmakers asking that question right now. Uh, John Solomon, one other crazy question. What happened to uh, uh, U.S. Attorney Durham? Uh, should Congress call Durham? Should yeah. Congress call Durham and ask him under uh, under the uh, under oath? Uh, has anybody in the U.S. Uh, Attorney General's office uh, stopped you from uh, doing your job? Yeah, listen, uh, John Durham signing in Washington is more rare than the Joe Biden press conference, and that's saying something. So, well, listen, he's been very silent. He's been putting the finishing touches on the report. We hear that that report could come out sometime May or June when it becomes public, if the attorney general releases it. And I expect that Merrick Garland will release the majority of it. Then I do think there could be some hearings by the Weaponization Committee, by the House and Senate Judiciary Committees to delve into some of its findings. Um, there's been so much attention on Hunter Biden that I think John Durham sort of had a quiet time to do the last bit of his writing. But when that report comes out, we'll get one last chance at realizing just how badly we were misled in 16, 17, 18, and 19. Wow. And before we let you go, sorry, John, before we let you go, also, John, I want to ask uh, John Solomon, your thoughts on the Trump lawyers. Apparently, they're asking Congress to step in. Yeah, this is a story we broke a couple days ago. Very important. 
Uh, they want Congress to step in saying, listen, this whole criminal investigation, the raid of Mar-a-Lago, was constructed to hide a very ugly fact, which is that federal bureaucrats at the National Archives and the General Services Administration, they're the ones who grabbed the documents uh, that were classified and sent them to Mar-a-Lago, not President Trump. They boxed them up for no procedures to sort classified from regular stuff like mementos and napkins and daily schedules. And uh, so that's the first part, which is, hey, we want you to look at this because future presidents are going to have exactly the same problem as Joe Biden and Donald Trump have discovered. But secondly, we want to tell you something that the courts have not been told. President Trump offered the FBI the opportunity to voluntarily go through his entire house. They did not need to raid him. The prosecutors didn't tell that to the judge who signed the famous search warrant. We want Congress to know that because we think there's a cover up going on there. And, you know, you look at Mar-a-Lago and what I call Car-a-Lago because the search of Joe Biden's home where they found the documents near the car. We, we jokingly call that Car-a-Lago. The presidents were treated very differently. We thought that maybe uh, Joe, uh, we were led to believe that maybe Donald Trump was resisting a search. It turns out in this new letter to Congress, which you know, carries importance, it has to be accurate. You have to tell Congress the truth. They actually offered the FBI voluntary search and nobody in the FBI took it up. Wow. Amazing. Well, John Solomon, we love having you here on the show. Thank you so much for joining Cats and Cosby, always with some big scoops. And boy, is next week going to be a huge week. Thanks so much for being with us. Great to be with you. Thank you. Wow, that was really explosive. And here in the studio, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, and we also have former New York Governor David Patterson. By the way, everybody, coming up, we have Carrie Lake, former Arizona GOP gubernatorial candidate. She is going to be joining us on the show. Also, Tom Holman, former ICE director, an action-packed show. And, Judge, real quick, your reaction to what we just heard, explosive, what John and I were just talking about with John Solomon. The situation is is this. We have one standard of justice, which is applicable to everyone, Democrats, Republicans, the Biden family, the Trump family, or do we have a two-tier system of justice? And the answer is, right now, the jury is out. We have to see what the Justice Department is going to be doing and how Congress exposes the deals, allegedly, that the Biden family is involved in. And why, years and years later, we still don't have a report either from Durham on his investigation or from Weiss or indictments from Weiss on uh, his investigation is very problematic. It does not give people faith in our impartial, fair justice system. Yeah, that's a great point. Governor Patterson, your thoughts? I think the judge totally covered the Hunter Biden story. I was interested in the conversation about uh, the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Because one of the former president's lawyers, Bob Costello, he and I are working on a case right now. So I talk to him all the time. He said he was actually there at Mar-a-Lago uh, one time when the when they initially came in to take the initial look at the documents. And at one point, President Trump came in and, and asked them if they wanted anything. In other words, you know, would you like a soda or something like that? And he said this was way before the uh, actual uh the search occurred, you know, the um, attempt to uh, get the documents back. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> I may not agree with President Trump about a lot of things, but uh, Bob Costello is a friend of mine, and he said he was actually there when they were initially looking, whereas when you have a search warrant and you come in and, and, and invade a place, it almost makes it appear that no one had ever been there before.
Yeah, that's a great point. By the way, he's the guy, of course, who testified uh, before the Alvin Bragg grand jury. Well, we're going to have a lot more with both of you guys. And now let's go back out to the ballpark. John Katsimatidis, lucky you to be there for the home opener tonight. John. Well, we're sitting here and we're waiting for the uh, game to start. And I'm sitting next to uh, uh, Homer Bush. And Homer, what, what else do you have to say about tonight? You know, um, we're ready. You know, the uh, the guys have worked hard. Um, their, um, the energy around the stadium and uh, the borough has been extremely positive. And so, uh, you know, everybody's always looking forward to the uh, season opener. So it's uh, just an all-around good, good time. Mike Cusick, how, how are things going in Staten Island? Are you, you're in charge of, what, 200 different businesses have signed up for economic development? It's great, John, and I, I want to say thank you to the Ferry Hawks because uh, this is such a great uh, atmosphere for Staten Islanders, and we see it as an anchor for the North Shore here in attracting businesses. And so we, it's important for us and for the SIEDC for these Staten Island Ferry Hawks to succeed, and that's why it's important that we're supporting uh, baseball here on Staten Island. I want to thank you for bringing it here. Well, and Eric, uh, you run the place day to day. Tell us about uh, the stadium. Uh, John, I always remember back to our first meeting where you said, Eric, rule number one is we have to have fun. Rule number two is this is about Staten Island and it's about the community and what we do has to be good for the community. So when I'm excited about the stadium, several things. One, we brought in a lot of new Staten Island restaurants. We have amazing food in the stadium this year. Nathan's Frank's. Nathan's Frank's. You know, we don't want my dinner is tonight. Nathan's Frank's is my dinner. Mine too. Your favorite. Everyone loves Nathan. So we have them. We have Flower and Oak, one of Staten Island's best pizzerias, Kettle Black, Hobra, burritos, empanadas. But it's about using the stadium to make Staten Island community feel visible and feel benefits and use the stadium as a way to build Staten Island. And that is really amazing. We've got two local players from Staten Island, Kevin Krause, Vinny Aiello. But it's really about... How does the stadium help Staten Island? We all and, and who's going to sing the opening of uh, uh, Statue, not Statue of Liberty? Well, we're looking at the Statue we are of Liberty. At it. Who's the Star Spangled Banner for opening uh, day? Vinny Madunio, WABC's own. Ah, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. Rita, we're going back to you. Wow, I am just jealous. You've got uh, Vinny Madunio, you got Nathan Franks, you got Mike Cusack, you got Homer Bush, you got John Katsimatidis. You, the guys get all the fun. That's all I have to say. That is all I, have I to always say. wanted to play center field. I'll never have a chance to play center field. I don't know. They might it's put you out there. <laughs> John, thanks so much. We're going to go back with John well, shortly. We'll talk to you uh, afterwards about 540. Can't wait. John, boy, John is having too much fun out there. Judge, they, there has to be a law against that. Yeah, there does. What do you think? You're a big baseball fan, Gov Patterson. I am, and I'm glad I'm not there because it's freezing out there. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I think the Ferry Hawks are going to keep it hot. Uh, I'm predicting they're going to do great. And, and, of course, they've got Kelsey, Kelsey Whitmore, who's the female uh, pitcher. She's the first female pitcher in the Atlantic League. I mean, that's a big deal. This is going to be one hot game, Governor. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of hot, uh, the economy is not doing so hot. And coming up after the break, we are going to be talking to Larry Kudlow to give us the latest, some really crazy economic news as Biden's poll numbers plummet big time. He has his lowest approval numbers ever. Stay with us, everybody. More on Cats and Cosby and also Carrie Lake joining us coming up soon on the show.
It's opening night for your Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Broadcasting live from Staten Island University Hospital Community Park in Staten Island. Home of the Ferry Hawks. It's Cats and Cosby. Now here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. It is a big night at the ballpark in Staten Island, the Staten Island Ferry Hawks home opener. And there at the SIUH Community Park, we're going to be going back to John Katsimatidis, the luckiest person in the world, because he's going to be out there for the big night. And as you just heard, he was with Homer Bush. He's also going to be talking to the president of the Ferry Hawks later on in the hour. We're going to keep going back there. We love Staten Island. And I am so jealous. It's going to be an awesome night. Well, the big question is, how awesome or lack thereof is the economy? And there's some really scary numbers that have just come out in terms of the growth for the first quarter GDP, lower than expected. Everybody's saying, wow, uh, is a recession right around the corner? Well, let's go to the best economic guy out there. He is the top host on Fox Business, also hosts a great show on WABC Radio, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. every Saturday. I am glued. The great Larry Kudlow. Thanks for being us with us here. Uh, Larry, it's myself, it's Judge Weinberg, and Governor Patterson, and we're thrilled to have you with us. Well, thanks, Rita. By the way, uh, breaking news. Uh, First Republic Bank has gone under. Ah, wow. uh, we were hearing that. Wow. Yeah, the FDIC has taken them over. I don't know the extent of the bailout, and I don't know a lot of things, but they have officially gone under. Their stock price had been crashing this week. And, um, you know, you have to ask yourself, this is uh, similar to the uh, Silicon Valley Bank problem. Why didn't the bank examiners... From the St. Louis, from the San Francisco Fed, why didn't the bank examiners get on this story a year ago? Why? Where were they exactly? And so that will all be investigated. We'll see how they're going to work this out, whether the, anything is salvageable from that bank or not. Um, I would guess the Federal Reserve and the Treasury are putting some money into it to try to keep the depositors alive. I don't know if it's going to be a taxpayer bailout or not. But anyway, they've gone under. That's the breaking news. It just happened about, it was right at the end of our uh, TV show. So what does that mean to the average consumer listening out there, Larry? Because everybody is so worried what the implications for the average person is. Well, they lost. Uh, it, it's important because people have deposits in these banks. Um, people are covered up to 250000 the question is the uninsured, uh, what happens to them? Now, they lost $100 billion in deposits earlier uh, this winter, okay, in January, February, and March. Uh, some people felt they had stabilized, but I don't know the extent of the uninsured, what the losses were. I mean, look, for the average person, you're always covered, as I said, up to $250,000, which is a lot of money. Um, so they're they're okay, but this is going to send a shiver throughout the economy. And as you said earlier, the numbers coming in for the first quarter were very bad, 1.1% growth. Actually, for the last five quarters, we've had less than 1% growth, 0.9% growth, and we've had 6% growth 
inflation. So we're in a very bad stagflation moment. Uh, business investment has collapsed. That's one of the things that came out of the numbers. And, you know, if you have an administration that is waging war against successful businesses or successful entrepreneurs, overregulated, overtaxed, uh, it's no wonder that business investment is drying up because, you know, that's the heart of the economy. That's what creates jobs. That's what creates productivity. That's what creates uh, real wages. But we're losing that right now. So we're in a very difficult economic position. Very, very difficult. You know, and Larry Kudlow, this is really uh, scary stuff that just came out also a little bit ago. Um, This Inflation Reduction Act, the cost, I'm sure you saw this, Larry, because you are always on top of all this. Uh, The climate and energy measures imposed by the Biden administration in this quote, I say, quote, Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, Penn Wharton just came out with a new model. Uh, basically costing, it was supposed to be $385 billion. They've now raised it to $1 trillion. Where is this going to end? Yeah, well, we've been reporting on that. The, the first people to blow the whistle there were Goldman Sachs. They put out $1.2 trillion, And I think the Congressional Budget Office looked at it, and they raised their numbers. And now Penn Wharton raised its numbers. You know, that's because there's unlimited... Uh, unlimited tax credits for various uh, climate renewable things, not just electric uh, vehicles, not just electric cars, uh, but a lot of other investments. There's no limit to it. There's no time limit to it. Stuff could go into 2040 and you could still be taking tax credits. um, And there's uh, no limit to what you can do uh, for each different project. I mean, Mind you, tax credits, these are not tax cuts. Tax credits are spending through the tax code, right? They're refundable. You get a check, a government check. So people that think this is to do with tax cuts, no. Tax cuts is when your marginal tax rate is reduced. Tax credits uh, is when the government writes you a check, and it's called a tax credit because it's designed specifically uh, for some project. So it's phony baloney. It's just more spending. And so this bill will cost over a trillion dollars. And it's not, it's endless. I mean, this stuff qualifies. You can go out to uh, 2040, 2044, I think somebody wrote. So it's a, it's a, it's a really it's a terrible thing. It's a stupid thing. And that's why, look, the big story this week was Kevin McCarthy got a debt ceiling bill through the House which included uh, nearly $5 trillion of spending reduction over 10 years. Plus, he'll increase the debt ceiling. There'll be no default for the next year, up to $1.5 trillion. And Joe Biden won't talk to him. This is day 86 that Joe Biden has not returned the call to Kevin McCarthy. It's an absolute scandal. Absolute scandal. Well, and Governor David Patterson uh, has a question for you. Go ahead, Gov. Larry, I'm wondering to what extent uh, the economy will suffer when if you pile up all these tax credits, why would people even pay taxes at all? Because they're getting the money back. And uh, and I'm just wondering how long this can go on before there's a total collapse. Well, that's a good point, uh, because it just depletes revenues, normal working revenues. I mean, I'm a supply sider. And I like lower tax rates. 
but usually lower tax rates stimulate the economy and the revenues come pouring in because more people are working. This is different. You're quite right. This is different. This just depletes the Treasury because it's spending. They're writing checks to people. They're not getting revenues. They're writing checks. <laughs> it's just government spending through the tax code. Yeah. And you'll see over time, unless this thing has changed, you'll see over time revenues will actually keep falling and the budget deficit will keep rising. So that's why these have been very bad. Look, David Patterson, you as governor would negotiate. You would negotiate for compromises on budgets, okay? There's no reason in the world why Biden shouldn't negotiate, right? He actually himself back in 2011 as vice president negotiated a debt ceiling bill with then Speaker John Boehner, okay? And that debt ceiling bill included substantial uh, savings on the budget. So Biden has done this before, and we've done this many times historically over the last several decades. Biden... His uh, unwillingness to negotiate now, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. You've got Democrats who may not agree with McCarthy's bill, but you've got Democrats calling him, calling him to start negotiating. We're going to have to have a compromise if we're going to avoid a default uh, on our debt or our other spending obligations. We'll never default on the debt. But Thank you, Larry. Obligations, our spending obligations could could be affected by it. Larry, thank you so much. Wow, such big, huge news. And as you also heard, uh, that the FDIC has officially taken over First Republic Bank. Big news today. Larry Kudlow, everybody's going to be tuning in for your show, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday. We love you, Larry. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. And now let's go to Lou Dobbs for more on the markets. It's opening night for your Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Live from Staten Island University Hospital Community Park in Staten Island, home of the Ferry Hawks. Now, here's Katz and Cosby, John Katzimatidis, and Rita Cosby. And it is the home opening night of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. We're going to go back to my awesome co-host, John Katzenbatidis, who is out there. He's going to be joining us in just a few minutes, and he's got some more big special guests. In the meantime, we continue here in the studio with Judge Richard Weinberg and also former New York Governor David Patterson. And boy, what a huge night. The news came out just a little bit ago that they may have reached a deal, a tentative deal on the state budget in New York. And what does it mean on so many layers? And is it a done deal or not? And does it really do much for law and order in New York? Well, joining us now is Melissa DeRosa. She was the former secretary, the key position to then Governor Cuomo. Uh, Melissa, great to have you here. You got to give us your assessment because it looks like what it's not a done deal. They haven't voted on it yet. Uh, and what do you make of it overall? Hey, Rita. So my my view on what's going on in Albany right now, it's it's sort of the intersection of incompetence meets delusional. And the press conference <laughs> that Kathy that's Governor Hochul Patterson. Has- We're already laughing. All right. So you got us laughing already, Melissa. <laughs> Melissa, you just started by weekend off the way it should have been. <laughs> well, uh, the the press conference last night, Governor and Rita. I mean, I don't know if you guys watched it, but first of all, so Hochul goes out and she does this press conference and she says, "We've reached this 
tentative agreement or we've reached an agreement in theory and you know immediately people start texting members and the press is reaching out to the leaders and they're saying what's going on what's going on what's going on and they're all like i mean we're hoping to get there the language isn't done bills aren't printed we haven't conferenced anything and so you know i sort of viewed what hopel did last night as an attempt to sort of get the press and the public to believe, you know, we're we've, we're making progress. And I do think the end is in sight. I'm, I'm betting they get this done next week. But as Governor Patterson can tell you, until the language is agreed to and signed off on and those conferences have signed off, it's not done yet. And so I thought it was, you know, a little bit satirical. And, you know, <laughs> she goes out and she's, she gives these quotes. They say, well, Governor, your number one priority was affordable housing and you had this big auspicious housing plan and it fell apart and she said you missed a hundred percent of the shots you don't take which is both a great Wayne Gretzky quote you know the famous hockey player but it's also a quote from Michael Scott who was in the office and well I'm sorry but you're an elected and you're elected to deliver not to take rhetorical shots the same way a fictional character does at a paper mill in Scranton Pennsylvania so I mean, it would be entertaining, except it's not TV. It's real life. So things up in Albany are, are not going well at the moment. And uh, Governor Richard, uh, Governor, I'm promoting no, you here. Uh, Judge Richard no, no. Weinberg. One, one, uh, one governor, looking, one uh, judge. By the way, I'm laughing because the governor is is laughing at what's going on here. Go ahead, Judge. <laughs> David Patterson had the chance to appoint me a court of appeals, and he failed in that mission. Oh, you, how could you do that? Gov, you had he's a chance. Never, he's never gotten over I've it. I've never gotten over yeah, it. Yeah, you can tell. Well, I just promoted him. So Thank go you. ahead, Judge. Melissa. So I see five New York City district attorneys have said that the tinkering around on the so-called bail reform and discovery package is failing. And the public safety is not being improved. And this is all, to use your word, it's all delusional and it's all rhetoric and narrative to say that we're going to be safer in this city, in this state. What say you? No, I mean, Judge, look, we've been talking about this since January, you know, the the whole standard on bail reform, I believe, was getting to the dangerousness standard where they just gave judges the discretion to determine whether or not, generally speaking, someone met, you know, is a danger, imposes a danger to society. And therefore, the judge in their discretion can say this person should be held on bail. This person should be remanded a certain way. And she didn't reach that bar. She got a very small sliver of what she was aiming for on bail. And, which was to say, you know, you don't have to do the least restrictive standard just for violent felons. We still haven't even seen the language on that. I'm betting when you see the language on that, how violent felons is going to be defined is going to be very minuscule in order to get past this very liberal legislature. And so, you know, it's sort of a joke. And I think even on, on that piece, you know, she's doing her best to declare it a win. I think the press is giving her more credit than is deserved on what she sought at the beginning versus what she got at the end. But she's sort of touting that as the win. And, you know, look, we can argue whether or not bail reform is actually what's driving crime. I believe it's much more structural. I think it's poverty. I think it's post-COVID. I think it's desolate streets. I think it's empty storefronts. But the public has said over and over again to their elected officials, we want this fixed. And they're still not there. So I don't think it was a win at all. And I, I think, you know, it's the only thing she gets to say she got something on. And the something seems like weak tea to me. Um, Governor Patterson. Melissa, I totally agree with your assessment of what the vector forces are that increases crime. My question to you is, and we've never really talked about this on the air before, the progressives, why is this the biggest deal to them when actually if they went along with even what would be the right thing, I mean, totally right thing to do on bail reform, they could get a whole bunch of things that, that they've had 
some trouble getting at this point. Like, why would that be the sticking point? You know, look, my experience, Governor, when I was there was that the the assembly um, speaker, you know, and a number of the African-American um, elected officials felt very strongly that judges would use the dangerousness standard as a proxy for race. And anyone who was African-American or has Hispanic judges would just blindly say, you know, they're dangerous. They impose a dangerousness to the community. And I understand the sensitivity and I understand where they're coming from. The, the only counterpoint from my perspective was every other state in the country who has done cashless bail has done it with a dangerousness standard. And you have not seen that play out the same way. So I, I think they're sort of fighting this, you know, sort of quixotic, you know, hopeful, I'm standing on principle, when in reality, if they had just given to that where we see it hasn't played out that way in other states, they could put this issue behind them and then focus on some of these structural issues, which I think are really plaguing the city and the state. Well, Melissa, thank you very much for your perspective. All eyes on this. Keep us posted. We always love having you on. Thanks so much. The great Melissa DeRosa, thanks so much for being with us. One other thing, Rita, I want to say is that Kathy Hochul keeps running around saying people say I'm an iron fist in a velvet glove. Show me one person that says that. Show me one. <laughs> At some point, she's got to actually get a win in Albany. So Maybe we'll it was see. Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Maybe it was Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> we'll Bye, see guys. where it goes. Listen, we hope she holds the line in some form. It's important for law and order uh, and to protect New York citizens. Uh, that is first and, and foremost. Melissa, I just want to congratulate you on your, on your book. What's left unsaid? Oh, Good thank you. you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Talk I to know. you guys. Bravo. All right. Bye. Thanks so much. And now let's go out to the person who's having the most fun of the entire place. And that is our great John Katzimatidis, who is out there in Staten Island at the stadium with the we're, Ferryhawks. John. Well, we're, we're here at the stadium. We're here at the stadium. We're getting ready for the big game. Uh, in the studio at the stadium here with us is Chad Lopez, Eric Shuffler, Andrew Giuliani. Say a few words. John, I got to say, every single time I come here, it is just the most amazing view, I think, of any professional sports stadium that I've ever been to. And it's a 17-minute ferry ride from Battery Park. If you're not coming out here, you're really missing something. This is just stunning out I here. I want to know what a game is, what a New York game is without a Giuliani being at it. <laughs> That's okay? a good question. I mean, it's buy me some peanuts, Cracker Jacks, and uh, meet Andrew Giuliani, I guess. Chad, <laughs> say one word. You know, it's great to have you here, Andrew. John, this is a great day. The, the, the ballpark looks great. The new seats are amazing. You guys got to come Brand out and check out. Brand new seats. Brand new seats. It looks great. And uh, we also have our hometown boys that play for the uh, uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us about yourself. Um, my name is Ben Aiello. I'm a 28-year-old right-handed pitcher. This will be my second year with the Ferry Hawks, and I'm super excited to get to work. And where are you from? Here, um, I grew up in Huguenot, South Shore, Staten Island. Well, you're a Staten Islander then. Staten Island, okay? born Staten and raised. Islander playing the Staten Island next. Uh, another Staten Islander, I'm Kevin Krause, grew up in Elkingville, went to South Shore Little League, and I went on to Tottenville High School. Um, it's been a dream to play for Staten Island. Uh, last year, it was kind of got off to a sour note, but I'm hoping this year can turn it around. We have a lot of talent That was our team. first year. Yes, yes. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out, but I'm, I'm back now and hoping to turn the tide. We're going to win the World Series of the Atlantic League for Staten Island. Yeah. And let me tell you something. If we don't win, we're in deep crap. <laughs> and tell us about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Christian Allegretti, a Brooklyn boy, born and raised. It's a pleasure to play here in Staten Island. I've been playing out here half my life. Uh, 
It's just a pleasure to be a ferry hawk, and thanks for having me. Well, we're glad you're here, and Andrew Giuliani, what do you say? Now, you guys know that John's management style is very similar to a guy named George Steinbrenner, so I'm just letting you know, if you guys don't get a hit in your first at bat, he may pull you right out of the game. I'm just letting you know that as somebody who works for the guy. Now, you're, you're in a great place with an amazing organization. I know how much John and Margo care, not just about the Ferry Hawks, but about the Staten Island community as well. Well, hopefully we're going to have every seat filled tonight. Uh, Eric and Margo, come say hello to the... Margo, you have to come say hello. Come on. Margo. Cousin Vinny. I have one question. I've read your book cover to cover, and I'm still not a billionaire. You have to read it twice. (laughs) (laughs) You have to read it twice. (laughs) I'm really here to hang out with Margo tonight. We're going to have some fun, huh? Margo, you having a good time? Excellent time, and it's so amazing. We've come a long way, baby, but we got a lot more to do. And I'm so proud of all you guys and... Really, I appreciate all the hard work of Eric and everybody and the training that I see you're getting and all of that. So it's a great group. And Homer, he's he's amazing. He's a good, great team leader. Yes? We're going to win the World Series of the Atlantic League for Staten Island. Yes. And if you guys don't win it, you can't go home. That's fine. <laughs> That's fair. Let's That's bring fair. it home. All right, Rita Cosby, back to you in the studios in New York. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just have to say how jealous I am. Now... And I first have to ask, who is the biggest fan there of the Fairy Hawks between you or Margo or Chad or Andrew? You got there's a lot of competition. Uh, Margo, you know I got to tell you, we're talking about who's going to actually wear the Fairy Hawks mascot around there uh, for the seventh inning stretch. So I think that's an ongoing bet. So we'll have to get back to you on that. Maybe on your ten o'clock show, we'll give you an answer. (laughs) That's a deal, Andrew. Great to have you guys. Have so much fun. We are totally jealous of you guys, and we are definitely rooting for the Ferry Hawks, the Staten Island Ferry Hawks again. Big home opener. John, what a blockbuster night, and it sounds absolutely awesome. Everybody, come on out. It is going to be starting shortly there in Staten Island, and again at the SIUH Community Park. One of the best views, by the way, of Manhattan ever. And you can, Governor Patterson, you look totally jealous. You look totally jealous seeing this. I, I am. I was cut by the Ferry Hawks last year, and I'm not going anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they got a female picture, by the way. That's right. That's right. And then I'll definitely never not get a hit. <laughs> Everybody stay with us. More of Cats and Cosby. Rita, we got one more person who wants to say hello to everybody in New York. Sure. Hi, it's Jania Butler. Hi, Rita. Hi, Governor. How is everybody? I'm out here celebrating the Staten Island Ferry Hawks with the team. I'm excited about it. We're teaming up with the NYPD this year, so I'm excited about it. So how, how's everybody doing? Oh, my God, Brett. Now, what are you doing with the NYPD, Jania? What are you doing with them out there? So we're doing with um, Wu-Tang, the Wu-Tang Clan, Ghostface Killer. We're doing a community baby shower with the NYPD and giving out um, a gift pack for the uh, expected mothers on Staten Island. So we're teaming up with the NYPD. You know, we'll probably bring you guys in and just do it right, you know. And so making sure that we foster great um, community relations with the police and the urban community. 
And by the way, before you go, Jania, make sure that you get John to sign a book for you. How far do you want to go? You if know you want I to, got it. I got it. I read it. I'm I'm into it for the fourth time now. That means you're going to be a quadruple billionaire. Yes. Let him know that, yes, okay? Ma'am. <laughs> All right, Jania, have fun. We love you. Uh, back to New York Studios. Oh, John, you are having too much fun. We love you, and we miss you here back here. But boy, are you the luckiest guy in the world! And everybody, stay with us here on Cats and Cosby. The Title 42, which is the immigration program that basically has been in place there on the border, it's about to be lifted. They are expecting a flood of migrants crossing the U.S. southern border. We're going to talk to former ICE director Tom Holman when we come back here on Cats and Cosby. It's opening night for your Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Live from Staten Island University Hospital Community Park in Staten Island, home of the Ferry Hawks. Now, here's Katz and Cosby, John Katzimatidis and Rita Cosby. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. John is out there at the stadium there in Staten Island, as you just heard, opening night for the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. And there is so much news happening around the country. Title 42, which has supposed to be basically keeping a number of people out from flooding the border. Biden administration has been doing it. It is getting lifted on May 11th. And we continue here in the studio with Judge Richard Weinberg, also former New York Governor David Patterson. And now we have joining us, we have Tom Holman, who is the former acting director of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Protection. And also we have with us Carrie Lake, former Arizona GOP gubernatorial candidate. It is so great to have both of you. Um, you know, Carrie, let me go real quick to you. Your thoughts about what's going to happen. People are predicting we may see 12,000 Illegal migrants coming a day across our border when Title 42 is going to be lifted now in less than two weeks. Wow. Well, I think the people, Rita, thanks for having me on. I think the people of Arizona are incredibly concerned about this. And this is why they were so supportive of my border plan, which called for calling it what it is, an invasion at the border and finally getting serious and and not waiting for the federal government and not waiting for Joe Biden to do the right thing, but having the states with strong governors, take on and tackle that border crisis and protect their citizens. It's going to take sovereign states to stand up for their rights and for the protection of their citizens to finally solve this problem. Because we can't rely on Joe Biden. We've seen how within 10 minutes of him taking office, he started to pull back an incredible policy at the border that President Trump had implemented and opened us up for just disaster. And it's truly a humanitarian disaster and crisis. It's a national security crisis. And I'm a mom. And and for me, the hardest thing to watch and the hardest thing on the campaign trail was listening to mothers and fathers come up to me and describe that they had lost a 19-year-old son or a 20-year-old daughter who had taken what they thought was a pill, a Xanax, or any kind of a pill. And it turned out to be um, laced with fentanyl, and they were poisoned to death. And we're watching an entire generation being lost to this kind of cartel nonsense and it's just plain dangerous so i'm really worried about title 42 being lifted i think we're going to see our borders flooded with people and and that's when people are really americans are going to wake up even people who haven't been paying attention are going to wake up when this happens yeah 1000 percent. let's go to if we could to tom holman who's joining us here on cats and cosby the former acting director 
of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Protection. You know, I want to ask you, Tom, you know, we talked, uh, John Katsimatidis and I talked with uh, former President Trump just a few days ago here on the show, and he was saying that right now 12 times the amount of drugs are crossing the border. That is stunning. Carrie Lake was just talking about the human trafficking um, I mean, how can we handle this as a country? This is unbelievable, these numbers. And how can Border Patrol really control our border at all at that point if we get overrun to that number? Well, first of all, I think when they end Title 42, I think you will see an increase in numbers. I don't think you will see the, the increase in numbers people are talking about, because if you look at the data, the Biden administration has released more people into the United States then they returned on the Teller 42 and remained in Mexico combined. But look, we're, we're, we're in a bad situation. Any increase in numbers is bad. Like right now, according to intelligence reports that I've seen, you got 20,000 south of El Paso and wars waiting. You got 15,000 south of Reynosa waiting. You got three caravans en route. Just yesterday, they got 4,400 in Brownsville. Brownsville's never been a site of a lot of activity. So the cartels want to spread them across the Mexico border. Here's what's bad. Any increase in numbers. Right now, the, the numbers are so high that 70 to 80 percent of agents are pulled off patrol to process. Change diapers, make baby formula, drive people to airports, to send them to the city of their choice on the taxpayer dime. 78 percent, 70 to 80 are already off the line. Now, any increase in numbers is going to result in what? It's going to result in more agents being pulled off the line. And when you pull more agents off the line, the amount of fentanyl that's sneaking this country is going to increase. The amount of women and children sex trafficking is going to increase. The amount of known suspected terrorists are going to increase. So this is this is bad for America. And, and Carrie Lake's just right. I, I, I've said it a thousand times. I don't care what your opinion is on illegal immigration. What this administration has done by opening this border and overwhelming the border patrol, they created the biggest national security failure our nation's seen since 9-11. So hang on tight. After Title 42, more fentanyl overdose deaths, more aliens are going to die. We already have 1,700 aliens that died on U.S. soil since Joe Biden became president. Historic numbers. We got 106,000 overdose deaths of fentanyl. Historic numbers. So this administration has a record death of migrants and U.S. citizens, and they're not doing a single thing to this day. They haven't done a single thing to slow the flow. I've talked to three chief patrol agents in the last two days. They, they all told me there is no plan to handle this influx. The secretary doesn't have a plan. The chief patrol agent had a plan. Wow. The only one on this phone call that had a plan was Carrie Lake because she was going to yeah. declare an invasion, and I was going to take the pleasure in going out there and helping her put that in motion. And, and yep. so she's right. This yep. administration is not going to do a damn thing. It's up to the states to take control of their borders. All right. Well, both yep. of you guys. Uh, and Carrie, just literally about 10 seconds, literally. Carrie, go ahead. And it's the Joe Biden does have a plan, and it's the destruction of America, and this is part of it, and this is part of his plan, and we need to get in there with strong governors to stop this nonsense, and we need to reelect President Trump to stop it from Washington D.C. Both of you guys, thank you so much for joining us, Carrie Lake, and also Tom Holman, two of the best in terms of border security out there. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank you guys so much, and everybody here in the studio. We got Gov Patterson. And also Judge Richard Weinberg. Everybody remember, Fairy Hawks, the game starts tonight. Opening game. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American American way. way.